here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Three weeks ago, in New York City, when Morishima punched me in the face, uh, detached my retina, fractured my orbital bone, it's probably been one of the hardest times of my career. Uh, my mom had to take me to the, the doctor on Monday, to the ophthalmologist, and uh, I had to have surgery, and when I came out, my mom was just crying, and, uh, you know, she's never seen that part of wrestling, and my sister called me up on the phone, and she was just yelling at me and screaming at me, and she's been there through a lot of it. She's been there when I uh, wrestled Kenta in Manhattan last year, and he was kicking my, my uh, separated shoulder with torn tendons and everything like that and she was just yelling at me and yelling at me and Brian you can't do this to to yourself and you can't do this to us anymore you just you know we can't take it as a, as a family and um I was really feeling down about it and, and you know that's all the stuff that's just bad about wrestling you know the the injuries and the toll it takes on your body and the toll it takes on your family and you know it really made me kind of rethink things and uh then I went over and visited my dad and uh you know my dad's a great guy. He's got a lot of wisdom, and I respect his opinion and all that kind of stuff. We were talking about all the different options and stuff that I have. You know, I could go back to school. I could go work in the mill. And uh, But right before my dad got up to make me a tuna sandwich, he turns to me and he says, you know, but this is the life you always wanted. And uh, I went home and I thought about it. And, you know, wrestling is everything that I love. You know, the the pay-per-view main events, the being in front of the live crowd, the training to be a professional athlete, you know, and all the injuries, all the detached retinas, all the separated shoulders, all the muscle tears and everything. This is the life that I wanted my entire life. And so Morishima, tonight I'm going for that ROH World Championship. And I plan on bringing it home because this is the life that I've always wanted. And you're not gonna take it away from me, not now, not ever. And this eye injury is not gonna stop me. My passion will take me through all of this like it's taken me through my entire career and Morishima tonight is not your night. It's Brian Danielson's night. And I may no longer be the best wrestler in the world, but damn it, I'll prove to everybody that I have more heart than anybody else in this sport. Do you smell what the rock is cooking? Feed me. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. 
I'm your host, Andrew Rich, and joining me today was the very first guest we ever had on this show, all the way back on episode 6. He is a contributor at Voices of Wrestling, where he reviews about 8,000 shows a month, uh, (laughs) give or take. (laughs) It's Sean Cedor. Sean, welcome back. How's it going? It's, It's great to be back. You know, it feels fitting because I think that first podcast we recorded or when I was a guest was about around WrestleMania weekend last year, if I remember correctly. So it's it's kind of fitting that I'm coming back a year later. Yeah, here we are a year later and we're now a few days removed from WrestleMania weekend as of this recording. Now, did you make it through? Okay. Are you still in one piece? Because I know neither of us were actually in New Orleans but I feel like I was, right. considering just how much wrestling I watched from that city over the course of like four days, because it was a lot of wrestling to consume. Right. So I hope that at this point you you've recovered somewhat. I'm honestly not sure because as of this recording, I've only seen about half of what I actually wanted to watch. So I I feel like for the next about again as of this recording for the next like two weeks or so, I'm gonna be going through. All the other stuff that I didn't watch yet. Um, I'm especially looking forward to seeing Joy Janela's Spring Break 2 when I get the chance to see it. Uh, just because, well, I heard I heard about all the craziness that happened, but it, it just sounds so amazing, and I obviously have to see it for myself. So, but yeah, that's, that's just one show of many that I have yet to watch yet, because I was mainly uh, focusing on Mercury, on uh, actually Evolve and WWN, mainly, you know, the two Evolve shows, Mercury Rising, uh, and then Ring of Honor, and then, of course, WrestleMania. So, again, so I, I, still, I, I still have to watch stuff like Spring Break, Bloodsport, TakeOver, uh, and a host of other things that I want to check out, and it's going to be taking up most of my life, so... Or at least most of my life out of work anyway. So right. um, I'm actually really excited. It's going to extend the WrestleMania week for me a little bit, but I'll get through it eventually. Yeah, you and I are both big fans of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So Mania Weekend was kind of like a Hydra situation. You know, finish one wrestling show, two more tickets place. <laughs> yeah. And a man can only watch so much wrestling before he implodes. Yeah. So God bless people like Alan Forel and Joe Lanza and Kelly Harris and Michael Spears and everyone else we know who went down there and watched like seven or eight shows and managed to come back still alive, sort of. (laughs) Now, I do plan on going next year because it's in the New York, New Jersey area, and I live relatively close there, a few states away. And Sean, I I know that you're in Pennsylvania, so you're kind of in the same boat as I am. So do you plan on making the trip next year and going to Mania Weekend as I am? Uh, well, that is the working plan right now. I would really like to go uh, to see all the different stuff. And actually just hearing about all the crazy stuff that happened this year just got me even more excited for next year. Because uh, I, I actually went to WrestleMania in 2013 when it was in New Jersey thinking, oh, they're probably, because it's, you know, it's New York, New Jersey, you know, cold weather can still happen in April. I think there's even, like, a like a, a tiny, like, snow shower right before the show. So I figured, like, oh, they're probably never coming back to New York at that time of year. No way. It's kind of like the Super Bowl, you know? But 
here we are like six or seven years later and they're they're coming back to new york so i think if if i'm still at my job that i'm at now by this point next year which hopefully i am um i'm definitely gonna be planning to use my vacation some of my vacation days for wrestlemania week so i could come in on like wednesday and then just see as much as i can definitely yeah and hopefully you do come and you know i'll I'll see you there at one of the 26 shows that they'll run that weekend probably oh yeah (laughs) and 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 somehow you'll end up reviewing like six of them somehow (laughs) yeah somehow maybe i'm sure i'll squeeze them in there somewhere anyway today is episode 31 the beginning of a new season of sorts for music of the mat and I knew what I wanted episode 30 to be about because it was around Mania and Mania themes would be a pretty big topic to close out 30 episodes, but I really didn't have any plans yet for episode 31 until some pretty big news broke about a certain someone returning to the ring after a few years away and voila, I had my topic. So today's topic is the theme history of the one and only Daniel Bryan, or Bryan Danielson, or the American Dragon, or D-Bry, as Booker T would call him. Whatever you want to call him, he's the same guy, the same amazing wrestler, and there's so much we can talk about, I think, when it comes to Daniel Bryan that I, I don't know if we can do him justice here. So I'll just start by saying that I'm really happy that Brian is wrestling again. Shocking, I know. Shocking statement. But I'm just very elated that Brian is back in the ring. Not just for my own selfish reasons, but for Brian as well. Because as much as we think we love pro wrestling, Daniel Bryan probably loves it about 10 times harder than all of us combined. Because he's traveled around the world and back for wrestling. He's been to every podunk town and wrestled for very little money for pro wrestling. He's been injured on a number of occasions, all for the sake of pro wrestling. He's put in his thousand hours a thousand times over and struggled and bled just to be a wrestler. And I think a lot of us know what it's like when you're really good at something and you really love doing it. And then all of a sudden, you can't do it anymore for some reason. It sucks. It it really sucks. So for a guy like Brian, who you could make the case that he's the best wrestler ever and who has such a talented mind for wrestling, for him not to be able to do it was a real kick in the tush for everyone. So I just think that it's so fantastic that Brian finally gets to do what he loves again after a few years away and we get to watch him do it so sean what are your thoughts and feelings uh, about brian coming back i don't think they'll be that different from mine but uh go right ahead yeah well obviously it was a very i guess surprising announcement at the time though i guess we knew something was coming eventually because there had been talk for over the last several months that you know he was just the speculation about his contract that he was going to, even if WWE did not clear him and at the time, it didn't seem like they were ever going to clear him, that he was just going to wait out, I guess, the rest of his contract, and then we would see him. And then, I guess this thought was that we would see him 
uh, on the independence when he, when he would, uh, at the end of his contract. Now I, there's obviously still the chance of that happening, but I don't think, again, I don't think anyone expected Brian to be actually clear by WWE, especially since the, the whole situation, they, they seemed pretty adamant that they were never going to do it. So when, when I saw the news, um, I guess that day, which I, I think I probably saw delayed because I was at work and I only have access to my phone at certain periods of the day. So it was probably like two hours after the news came out or something like that. But when I saw it, you know, I, I was, it, it shot, it was very surprising again, just considering everything that had been going on and, um, yeah, it was just really exciting. Um, and I wasn't really sure I was excited obviously. And, you know, seeing that SmackDown uh that episode of SmackDown that day where he came back and cut that promo was was really, you know, emotional. Uh just to see yeah. someone who loves what he does so much. And I figured, you know, maybe he'd be more limited, but then obviously the WrestleMania at WrestleMania he was in that tag match and then two days later he's wrestling AJ Styles on SmackDown, which was astonishing, you know. I don't think anyone would have again, given the situation would have seen that coming, you know, a month ago, let alone, you know, maybe like two or three weeks ago or whatever. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's incredible. And I'm, you know, excited to see what he does going forward in WWE and potentially, and I say potentially, but also hopefully elsewhere. Cause so I think while there's a lot of, uh, potential for him in WWE now that he's back, since it's, you know, been three years since he's been, an active wrestler and you know, the roster's changed a lot since then. Uh, I part of me really hopes that he does end up leaving just so we can see him wrestle all, you know, all the greats in new Japan or some of the current top independent stars on the scene right now. So whatever ends up happening, whether he stays or whether he goes, I'm just happy that he's back. And he, again, he seems like a, a guy who's, who's very smart and we heard about all the things he was sort of doing to uh, figure out a way to get back in the ring while staying healthy. I mean, we heard about the uh, that oxygen therapy stuff he was doing, and mm-hmm. he was always you know staying in shape and everything. Um, so he's a smart guy. He loves wrestling, and I and he's smart enough to sort of adjust. Even if, with those injuries he had, he's smart enough to adjust his style to where he could still do what he loves to do while not killing himself like he was, you know, in the past. So even if he's wrestling a little differently, it's still nice to see. It's still great to see him uh, back in the ring and hopefully for many years to come if he's healthy enough. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the big reasons that we and so many others are so excited that Brian is back is not just because Brian is a really great wrestler, but also because He's just such a nice guy and so likable, too, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, if this was Dick Murdoch or Bill DeMott coming back, I don't think people would care as much about that as they do this. But the fact that Brian is so endearing and so lovable and he comes off as just this awesome guy in real life, that has people even more excited for him to be back. And that honest love has been there for him for years and years and years going all the way back to his ring of honor days in the early 2000s and it's it's pretty incredible that brian has been able to 
sustain this really devoted fan base for so long. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard of anyone, whether it be a fan or just other wrestlers talking about him. I've personally never heard of anyone who's had a bad thing to say about him. So I guess that just speaks a lot to how people view him and I guess it's just in general his character and how he approaches life. Yeah, yeah. So we're doing Daniel Bryan's theme history, and of course, Sean, one of the many promotions that you help cover for VOW is Ring of Honor, and, and Bryan played such a massive part of that company's history. Now, when you started getting into Ring of Honor, was Bryan still there at the time? And if he wasn't, when did you discover Bryan and get into him? So I caught on to Ring of Honor at a very interesting period. Um, so I have uh, DirecTV, and why that's key to the story is that I believe at the time, HDNet was only, at least from my understanding, it was only available on direct people who had, for people who had DirecTV. Um, and so, and I think right after the HDNet show for Ring of Honor started, I was just flipping through the channels, and I, I found it. Um, and for about... I re- even though I found it, and even though I would watch it occasionally, I really didn't catch on to Ring of Honor fully till about a year later. So by that point, uh, obviously, uh, Brian Danielson had already left. Uh, you know, he had his last match towards the end of 2009. Um, so actually, the first time I really saw him, and I, I again, I think I may have caught, you know, one or two of his matches on HDNet in like early 2009 when the show first started. But what really actually kind of, or at least a big factor or a contributing factor that led to me getting into Ring of Honor was finding out, you know, or I guess seeing him for the first time on the original NXT and finding out that, oh, he, he used to wrestle for this company called Ring of Honor. And then I obviously made the connection, oh, this is the this is the same company that's on the HDNet show every week. So seeing him on HDNet, or seeing him on NXT, I should say, and then sort of connecting him back to Ring of Honor, I guess, was one of the contributing factors in, like, that year, 2010, along with stuff like, I guess, the uh, the Kevin Steen El Generico feud. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, the uh, debut of Hassan Benjamin, Charlie Hassan's Shelton Benjamin in Ring of Honor later that year in 2010. Um, and all those sort of things, like, sort of came together you know, my interest in looking back at Danielson and seeing or, and seeing what his earlier work was like, and then the stuff that was going on at the time, sort of led to me getting really fully into Ring of Honor around the middle of 2010, towards the end of the year. Um, so even though I didn't watch Dan- much of Danielson and Ring of Honor in real time when he was there, uh, I did catch him a couple times on HDNet, and then seeing him in NXT. In, the, in its original incarnation sort of encouraged me to go back and, you know, dive more into Ring of Honor and look up some of his, his stuff there through, obviously, you know, uh, DVDs were still pretty prevalent at the time. So I got as much as I can get and started watching. Yeah, I discovered Brian um, when he was still on ROH, thanks to my two best friends at the time. Uh, which were Mega Upload and Rapid Share. Uh, so <laughs> shout out to those two good brothers and their their pesky free download limits. <laughs> I, I used to download individual matches off of WrestlingForum.com 
and just watch them. And I would I would download anything really, uh, old, new, WWE, indie, Japan, whatever. And I think this wasn't the first ROH match I ever saw, but the first Brian match I ever saw was I believe him versus Liger from 2004. And I didn't fall in love with Brian right away, but I think he was the first or or one of the first guys who I saw work that intense technical style outside of WWE. Because you had guys in WWE like Angle and Benoit and Regal, but they weren't working these 20 to 30 minute epics all the time. So Brian's style, it did take me a little while to get used to because I wasn't used to seeing that type of wrestling and that, that typical Brian ROH match at the time. But eventually I did warm up to it and I started seeking more Brian matches to watch. Not that I was actively following his career intently and watching everything, but I always made time to seek out this Brian ROH match or that Brian PWG match or, or wherever. And then when he went to WWE, it was great because of how convenient it was. He's right there on my TV. No more pop-up ads or, or download limits or whatever. And speaking about him going to WWE, I think one of Brian's key traits as a wrestler is his versatility. Because you can put him in so many different environments and he's so good that he can adapt to all of them, I think. He can do the long, epic 30-minute, 45-minute, 60-minute match in ROH. He can also do the WWE house-style match. He can do technical. He can do brawling. He can do cruiserweight. Whatever. And there aren't that many guys out there with that level of adaptability. We've seen plenty of guys who have gone to a new promotion for the first time, and they don't gel with it right away. Cody Rhodes, I think, is a good example of that when he went to New Japan. It took him a while before he really found his footing there in that environment. Eventually he did, but it wasn't that jigsaw falling into place smoothness. Brian, I'm convinced that you can put him in any scenario and he'll thrive. And not just match styles either, but also character work. Because as awesome and as natural as he is... As a white meat babyface hero, he can be such an amazing prick heel as well. The ROH world title run, I think, is a good example there of that. So Brian, to me, is such a total package when it comes to being a wrestler. Yeah, yeah, he, he could definitely do it all. Um, yeah, you know, is, there's, you know, situations where, you know, he's wrestling, you know, 60-minute matches, or I think the one time he had like a... 75 minute match with Austin Aries or something like that. Mm -hmm. But then there are situations where I, I remember matches where I think he on one show, he wrestled, you know, just like somebody like a Sal Renaro, like in a six minute opener on a random ROH show. So like just a not, not, you know, the, the complete opposite of what you would expect from him or wrestling a match against somebody like Jack Evans, where it's a similar kind of sort of length, but he's like just, it most matches like just him stretching Jack Evans in like situations that the human body, you know, shouldn't be stretched in or whatever. Um, and and I've, I've caught some of his work elsewhere. Like he was, a, he's had some Jakar appearances and I think I've seen a few of his matches there. 
and he, that's an environment that he really fits in well in. So he could really do almost anything, uh, whether that be you know the serious wrestling or, as we saw a bit in WWE, some of the comedy stuff when he was part of Team Hell No with Kane. So, yeah, he, he's, he's definitely versatile, and he can do a ton of different things. And I think that's why people, a part of the reason why people uh, love him so much is that, you know, he can, you can put him in any situation, and he will excel. Yeah, and we talk about, you know, versatility. There's quite a bit of versatility and variety in Brian's themes as well. You know, most of them are of the rock category, but still, we've got plenty of subgenres here to talk about. So there are 12 themes on the list. Now keep in mind that this is not a complete list. I had to cut a few of them out and pretty much all of them were one-off themes because he's had quite a few of those. But 12 themes is still a decent amount of songs. Uh, obviously we'll have more to say about some songs more than others. But Sean, I know that you were actually pretty surprised that Brian has had so many themes, um, as was I, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, you know, because I, I figured, you know, it's probably, uh, when I was thinking about this idea of a Daniel Bryan Music of the Mad episode, I was thinking, oh, it's probably just, you know, the usual suspects, the final countdown, uh, the HDNet theme he used, and all the different WWE thing, themes that he used, but when I found out it was like 12 or 13 or whatever the number was, I was like, wow, he actually has a lot. Uh, which I guess kind of isn't a surprise because he's, he's, again, he's, he's wrestling in a lot of places and I guess not necessarily all of them use, you know, the final countdown per se when he was on the Indies. So yeah, no, I, I was, it was very, I guess, shocking to find out that he had that many things, but I was also very intrigued to see, okay, what, what, what kind of stuff was he using at the time when he, when he, you know, he was wrestling in all these different places that he was wrestling. Yeah, the curse of this podcast is that every time I delve into a wrestler's theme history, there's always like four or five more themes than I realize. <laughs> every single time, it's it's weird. It's, it's those damn Wikipedia pages. They always dupe me. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, in any event, uh, Sean, are you ready to delve into the world of Daniel Bryan themes? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so... What I did was I divided the themes into four distinct sections that mark, I think, the different parts of Brian's career. Uh, so the first section is called An American Dragon, and these are the themes that when you think of independent wrestler Brian Danielson in the 2000s, these are the ones that come to mind immediately. The first one is by The Offspring. It's off the album Smash. This is Self-Esteem. I rode her off for the tenth time of 
So I know that nowadays when you describe something as punk rock in wrestling, people tend to roll their eyes. But if you look at the indie wrestling boom of the early 2000s, it did share that same anti-mainstream sentiment as punk rock because WCW and ECW were gone. WWE was now the only real game in town. Uh, TNA was there too, of course, but WWE were very much the face of wrestling. And as a way to show that wrestling was more than sports entertainment, as a way to you know give guys who normally wouldn't be looked at by WWE a place to hone their craft and build a fan base, you had all these indie promotions popping up and putting on shows like ROH, PWG, CZW, IWA Mid-South, AIW, whole bunch. Very much like a punk rock or an indie band building up a fan base by themselves outside of the mainstream music scene. And of course, Brian Danielson being one of the flag bearers of that indie wrestling boom, being a guy who has that DIY work ethic, who understands the struggle to make it as a wrestler outside of the system, then him using a band like The Offspring, who started out as a hardcore punk band and retained some of that sound as they progressed, I think it makes a lot of sense here, Sean. I yeah, I guess it does. Um, you know, when I was listening to the uh, the song initially, I found out that, or as I guess I was listening to it, it just it invoked. I sound like oh, this invokes like stuff like uh, uh, Nirvana and stuff like that. But then you know, when I looked at the album, I was like oh, it came right you know right around the same time, you know, mid '90s, I guess. So I guess it really fits in with that sort of punk rock scene, I guess you could say. Um, and yeah, it was a, I guess it was a very interesting choice as a first theme, at least in Ring of Honor for Brian Danielson, especially knowing what he would use later. Um, but it was a, it was a very interesting song and, uh, it's just, I guess for me, because I associate him so much with the final countdown, hearing him with other stuff that's sort of different from it is it seems a little strange at first mm-hmm. but then again like you said like the punk rock thing it, it really fits with that you know early 2000s uh music culture i guess you could say or, you know with stuff like you know lincoln park was popular mm-hmm. and stuff like the offspring i'm sure was popular at the time it's, you know it's for wrestling themes and whatnot yeah and the song is also very catchy as well it's not some 90 second screamo punk song it has those sing-along parts to it, you know, the la 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 la, and the oh yeah, yeah, yeah parts that they get the crowd chanting along, and they do create a sense of community around the song, and that all goes with Brian and his natural charisma and his natural ability to get people behind him. Yeah, and again, I, I wasn't very familiar with this theme at least when brian used it um because the my knowledge of ring of honor only goes about as far as as far as like looking back really goes only to like i guess like mid 2005 which was i guess during that period when the summer of punk was sort of happening brian had taken sort of a a leave of ring of honor i guess he might have i'm not sure for the reasons Uh, i think he might have been like on a tour of japan or something but he wasn't it wasn't there during that time period and the summer of punk 
was really my one of my first go-tos when I was looking at Ring of Honor because I found out I found that you know that's where CM Punk was from, and I'm a big CM Punk fan as well as a big Brian Danielson fan. So, uh, but my unfortunately, even though I, I guess I consider the the Ring of Honor guy on the Voices of Wrestling site, um, the sort of those like really early years of like you know 2002, 2003, 2004. Uh, are really sort of like my blind spots when it comes to Ring of Honor, just because I haven't seen a ton from that era. Um, but I, you know, if I had, you know, DVDs sort of from that era, I guess uh, it would be very interesting to hear that theme play when he comes out in those matches, uh, just to hear how, I guess I, unfortunately, I've never seen an entrance of his with this song. Um, it would be interesting to go back and look at some of those earlier matches from Ring of Honor and see those entrances and see how, you know, the crowd really interacts with the song as it, you know, as he's making his way out and everything. So, um, yeah, I, I actually really like the song. And again, I, it does encourage me a little bit to go back to, to find if, if I could find any, some of those earlier shows and just to see how he, you know, comes out to it in, I guess at the time. Yeah. And one more thing about this song that you can look at as being connective tissue to Brian is the subject matter. The song is about a guy who is constantly put upon and walked all over by his girlfriend who cheats on him and abuses him. And he swears that he's going to leave her for good, but he always chickens out. And that, I think, plays to Brian and his relatability. Not that Brian is a coward. No. But a lot of guys probably relate to being put upon and held down and abused, whether by a partner or a family member or their boss or whomever. And they swear they're going to do something about it, but they never do. So they likely see themselves in Brian and right. relate to him. Because mm -hmm. at this stage of his career, he is not that super successful guy yet. He's a smaller guy struggling to make it in wrestling. And people can relate to that. They can see themselves in Brian, and they can cheer him on in the hopes that he succeeds in life. Yeah, and actually, you mentioned him about, I guess, in relation to the song about being hauled down, and it actually did bring up memories of, because I remember he did uh, work for WWE briefly during the early 2000s. I think he, he was actually under contract or something, or he, I know he worked a couple matches, I think, on Velocity or something, um, and he was, you know, he worked a couple matches, I think he had a match with, like, and very, you know, with John Cena very mm -hmm. early in his career. And he ended up, I, again, I, I don't remember if he was actually, if he actually just worked a couple matches there or if he was actually like signed briefly, but I guess, you know, that, that could play within that motif as well. You know, the fact that, you know, he ha was in WWE like very, you know, very, very briefly and it didn't work out. If you kind of, if you kind of get what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. The other theme that people think of when they think of American Dragon Brian Danielson is a little bit more popular, maybe, possibly. You could say that. Uh, this is, of course, by the band Europe, off the album The Final Countdown. This is the one, the only, The Final Countdown.
This is, I'd say, one of the most iconic themes, not just in Ring of Honor history, but in the history of indie wrestling as a whole. And I think that really speaks to the improbable nature of Brian's career. Just like Brian, at face value, shouldn't have been this insanely popular guy in WWE, their world champion, even, here is this cheesy, synth-heavy glam metal song from this Swedish band that, at face value, shouldn't be this massively popular anthem at an indie show, especially in this cutting-edge, new-wave wrestling environment like 2005-2006 Ring of Honor. In that environment, you expect something heavier, or more straightforward rock, or hip-hop, not Europe. And I just love that this song, this overly dramatic sci-fi allegory about two people wondering about the future of their relationship, became such a beloved pro-wrestling theme. It's, it's, it's wonderful, and, and only in wrestling, Sean, only in wrestling can this happen, I think. Yeah, and I was part, something that actually really surprised me is I didn't even realize that he, at least, he only started using the song sort of like right when he won the Ring of Honor World Championship. So, you know, I, I, when he brought up the idea to me of doing this episode, I figured, oh, he probably used some other theme in Ring of Honor before the final countdown, but I, I figured he used the final countdown on for a lot longer than he did. Um, but I guess when he did start using it, it you know, I, I guess it was perfect timing because again, he, that's when he uh, defeated James Gibson to win the Ring of Honor World Championship in September 2005, and it it just sort of it fit him as champion, and then from there it just got super super popular, and. For me, when I was thinking about the final countdown and then its sort of relationship to Ring of Honor, I guess in general, I, I part of me feels like that the best Ring of Honor themes, especially from the you know the classic period, are the ones that work really well for slapping the barricade when the guy comes out right. and makes his entrance, um, and obviously in the final countdown, um, once it really gets to the song. You have you have the beat of just everyone slapping the barricades in rhythm because that's that's something you really don't see at Ring of Honor shows anymore. I mean, the only times that I could call current Ring of Honor shows you see that is when everyone does the clap for the Terminator dive, when you know the Kenny Omega does it or when the Young Bucks do it. Because there really aren't. I don't know if it's with the new fan base since Ring of Honor sort of transitioned a lot at this point from where it was you know, during its glory years to now where it's more of the the SVG audience that's been built up in the last few years, but it just seems like that the fans, at least who sit in the front rows, really don't get into the, the rhythm of the songs and try to slap the barricades accordingly, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the songs that are used today also in Ring of Honor really don't have that, that rhythm or that incentive to like really sort of slap the barricades to make it go along in rhythm. Like uh, you don't stop, you don't hear anyone doing something like that with you know Cody's theme or Dalton Castle's theme per se, but with you know Brian Daniel with the final countdown, you have that you know the constant beat as Danielson's walking to the ring of everyone stopping the barricade, and then you know when he gets in the ring and right before they go to the final countdown, you have that sort of like that five uh, 
that five beat where it's like uh, I don't know if you can hear me through the speakers, but, but it's sort of like <laughs> sort of that like last bit, those last couple beats right before everyone shouts the final countdown. Yeah, and you know, slapping the barricades like that it just really adds a lot to the theme at the time when he was coming out. And again, slapping the barricades in general was just such a. I was I guess I'm just amazed at how. The, I guess the fans at the time were able to like coordinate that rhyth- rhythmically, just you know match it with everyone's song, where it'd be like Dandelsons or Small Joes or CM Punks or whoever. So yeah, um, classic Ring of Honor. When I ever think of themes, including the Final Countdown, it's just like how well does it work with the barricade slapping? Because that's such a big part of Ring of Honor. Right, right, and I think a big reason why people slap the barricades is that like self esteem. It's a very catchy song that right. gets you so amped up. From note one, it's designed to get your blood pumping. That iconic synth melody. The drum roll. The lead up into the chorus. You know, we're leaving ground, leaving ground. And the chorus itself. It's the final countdown. You can't help but feel so energized and excited for it. And having that energizing song helps you feel more excited about the wrestler to come out right. mm-hmm. and wrestle a match. And going back to building a bond between Brian and the crowd, this song does that as well with the way that Brian makes his entrance, where he climbs the turnbuckle right as the chorus hits raises his arm up and the entire place goes it's the final countdown such a smart and simple way really to further bolster that close connection between brian and the audience yeah and it does and it does allow for certain special moments as well because uh the one the one daniel's entrance to me that really stands out at least as far as the final countdown goes is the one where i, I don't know if you're thinking of the one i'm thinking of the one where he so he's wrestling uh, Takeshi Morishima yep. at Final Battle 2008 in the Fight Without Honor in the main event. Yep. He, he runs out, he attacks Morishima in the middle of his theme, he throws him outside, does the big you know springboard dive over from the top rope over the barricade to the floor, and then he gets up just in time, gets on a chair, and then everyone says it's the final countdown, like right at the perfect moment. Yeah, that was the big Fight Without Honor epic blood feud ending match right. mm-hmm. at final battle 08 between brian and morishima because morishima had injured brian's eye really badly the mm-hmm. year before and this was the final showdown in this no holds barred match so the tension and excitement was really palpable that night and to see brian forego any normal entrance and immediately attack morishima hit the big dive and then to see him put one foot on the chair, one on the barricade, and without even saying a word, just raise a finger to the sky and the entire crowd knowingly just shouts, It's the final countdown! And it just gives you chills to see the hold that Brian and this song had over the ROH crowd. And I know that Ian on Twitter, um, at BME underscore 87, posted a clip of this when he was doing his Morishima and ROH rewatch. He did mostly GIFs of it, but 
for that moment, he made sure to include the sound in it. And check it out if you haven't already, because it's a classic moment in ROH history, for sure. Oh, yeah, I, I believe I saw that as well. And then just one more thing when I was thinking more about the song. Uh, one thing that actually came to mind to me was that it, the final countdown in relation to Brian Danielson's entrance in Ring of Honor actually really reminds me a lot of Minoru Suzuki, interestingly enough with Kaze Ninare, because it sort of has that oh, similar yes. setup where, you know, it starts, both songs sort of start very softly, and then the whole, I guess, idea is that it, it sort of builds up, the song builds up to that one moment where they, or I guess in Suzuki's case, he gets in the ring, and they're like, that's where the, like, that's the big moment, sort of like the final countdown where Brian Danielson gets on the turnbuckle, and everyone shouts it's the final countdown, whereas with Suzuki, it's all building to that one moment where he where, you know, he gets in the ring, and then that's when everyone shouts, Kaze Ninare. So, I thought this is interesting, too. It's sort of like, it's very similar in a way, if, if you get what I'm saying. Now, do you know the legend behind Brian choosing this song as his theme? No, I don't, actually. So, I read an article about the music of Brian's career, and the story goes that, supposedly, he was at Glory by Honor 4, uh, the night he beat Gibson for the belt, and before the show, he was getting ready backstage, and he was reading Blender magazine, and it had a list of the worst songs of all time. So as a joke, Brian picked one of the songs on the list to come out to that night, and of course, the song he picked was The Final Countdown. Which, first of all, whomever wrote that list was a fucking idiot, clearly, because that <laughs> song is amazing. Second... I think that is such a Brian thing to do. Right. Because mm -hmm. he's got such a dorky sense of humor about him. Yeah. And I mean that in a good way, because so do I. So it's amazing that this huge part of Brian's indie career and his whole life story came about as a joke. But then as time went on, it became such an important and endearing part of his career. Yeah, that that's that's pretty crazy. But at the same time, it's it doesn't surprise me, considering again he he's got that quirky sense of humor. Um, so yeah, no, I again shocking initially, but when you think about it, considering who Brian is and his personality, it's not that surprising in hindsight. Yeah, definitely one of the most popular songs in ROH history for sure. Uh, in fact, this song was actually so popular as a theme that when ROH went on HGNet and had to stop using licensed songs, Ring of Honor actually sent out a press release about the final countdown. Um, it reads, ROH officials have heard the comments of several fans as it pertains to the ring music used by Brian Danielson. Rest assured that ROH has exhausted itself trying to find an economically feasible way to keep the loved Final Countdown playing at live events, on pay-per-view, and on the upcoming HDNet television production. We, unfortunately, are at a standstill. Royalty fees are astronomical, and we need your help. If you are a musician or know a great band, please email Redacted. We know that music is a huge part of any event, ROH notwithstanding, and we want to do it right. And we'll see later on, Sean, that ROH did end up finding a solution in a way. Mm-hmm. Right. We'll move on now to section two, which is called Wewa. 
and these are themes that Brian was not well known for using during his indie run, and these themes were either one-offs or they were used in Japan. I don't think we'll have much to say about them, but they are a part of his history, so we'll cover them. First up is a theme that Brian used for the 2005 Ted Petty Invitational in IWA Mid-South. Off the album Turn, 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 this is The Birds with Turn, Turn, Turn. Another great example here of Brian's sense of humor, because when you think of the music of the 2000s indie scene, you think of new metal and hip-hop and rap rock, all sorts of aggressive, loud music. And when you think of IWA Mid-South, you think of the grimy, sleazy underbelly of indie wrestling. Ian Rotten, death matches, that sort of thing. Not the most erudite place in the world, to say the least. So, what song does Brian decide to come out to for the TPI 2005, but this song, which is this flowery folk rock song based on the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible. To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose, under heaven. A time for love, a time for hate, a time for peace, I swear it's not too late. So it's this peaceful protest song with these beautiful lyrics, and Brian is using it in this filthy indie promotion, which I, I gotta think he must have gotten a real kick out of this one, uh, Sean. I, I have to imagine that. Yeah, I, I guess so. I, I think out of the four songs that, are, that we're going to talk about in this section, this one was, the, to me at least, listening through them, this one was just the most... It's just the most jarring, I guess you could say. <laughs> it just didn't... When you think of it as, as a theme song for somebody, especially with somebody like Brian Danielson, it just it just seems so strange. But again, I guess that just fits in with his, his personality. Now, could you imagine if... Now, I don't know. I've never seen that list that you referred to earlier. But could you imagine if this song was on that list... And he ended up picking that song <laughs> instead of the final countdown. Oh, how history would have changed if that was the case. <laughs> that would have been something, for sure. Uh, somehow, I, I don't think it would have had the same effect if Brian had climbed the turnbuckle, put his arm up, and the crowd goes, Turn, turn, turn. <laughs> not the same, I don't think. No, no, no. Definitely not. Another theme that Brian used as a one-off was at the Ring of Honor show Hell Freezes Over in January 2006. This is the band Animotion with their hit song Obsession. 
So the reason that Brian used this theme is because that there was a moment on the show where Dave Prezak comes out. And Dave Prezak nowadays is known for being the guy who runs Shimmer. But back in the day, he was a heel manager and a commentator in places like ROH and IWA Mid-South and all over the indie scene, really. And he was a longtime associate of Brian Danielson as both a manager and as a real-life friend. So Obsession was Prezak's theme, and when he came out on the show, Brian accompanied him to ringside. And then afterwards, Brian wrestled the match. So technically speaking, this song was Brian's theme for that match. And, you know, I really like this song a lot. It's a pretty fun, bouncy, funky new wave song. It's about obsession and the madness that obsession can lead you to. Certainly works for wrestling, I think. I mean, how many times have we seen guys do crazy things just to win a feud or a belt? I mean, hell, look at Brian. Uh, you know, Brian won the ROH title and over time, he became more and more obsessed with keeping the belt. So he started taking more liberties in matches and doing sneaky heel things and becoming a real jerk-off. So even though Brian only used this for one show, you can see Obsession working for him as a theme. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think for when I was thinking about the song, or I, I guess as, as I was uh, as listening to it, I do think... I. It, I do think it worked in the sense that, you know, it is around the same time period, or I guess when it came out as the final countdown, it's sort of that 80, it's got that 80s sound to it. It's very, it's very, very 80s. <laughs> um, so I, I guess in that regard, it did, it fit for, I guess, that one occasion. Um, still doesn't talk the final countdown, obviously, uh, as his theme, but I guess it was interesting as a one off. Uh, song that he used, or I guess he used as he was coming out with Prezak. Um, yeah, no, I like, like like the song a lot as well. Um, don't think it would have similar to the, to the Turn, Turn, Turn song we talked about, I don't think it would have uh, been as effective as a theme as the final countdown if he used it more regularly, but as a, just a funny little I guess one-off, it, it worked. And it's been used in wrestling in other places too. It was the first theme for Saturday Night's Main Event back in the 80s. Yes. And mm -hmm. it was also the theme for, I believe, Pretty Peter Avalon uh, for a time. Okay. Or it still is, maybe. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Brian also used a few themes during his excursions in Japan as well. He used this theme when he was in New Japan during the early 2000s. This is off of a Queen tribute album called Stone Cold Queen. And this is Robin Zander, the lead singer of Cheap Trick, doing his version of Stone Cold Crazy.
keep in mind here that this is 2003-2004, so Brian could have used self-esteem here, but it's not uncommon as well for indie wrestlers to have different themes depending on the company. And we see nowadays that guys will have a different theme for New Japan, specifically, like Zack Sabre Jr., or the Young mm-hmm. Bucks, or Chuck Taylor. So it's not out of left field for Brian to have a different song just for New Japan. Um, I don't think Stone Cold Crazy fits Brian all that well compared nah, to other themes. Not really. It's a fast-paced song with these insane lyrics and insane guitar solos. And Brian can do that fast-paced style, as we know, but he's not like 100% sprinting, go, 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 all the time, like the song is. Nor is he necessarily a crazy guy, like the song would suggest. Now, he's been a bit crazy at certain moments of his career, but again, this is 2003 American Dragon in New Japan. He's about as straightforward and clean-cut as you can get here, I think. I mean, the craziest thing he did in New Japan was team up with Curry Man to win the junior tag belts. Right. That, mm-hmm. that was it, really. <laughs> yeah, it, honestly, it seems like it seems like a song that was sort of... And I, I, I don't know if this was the case, but I, I'm assuming it was the case. It seems like a song that like, New Japan sort of just gave him and said, Hey, here's, here's right. your theme song. This is what you're going to come out to. Um, it, it sounds, at least when I first listened to it, it sounds a lot like if you remove the lyrics maybe and it's just the instrumental, it sounds a lot like something that might be used in New Japan today. Um, I got sort of, maybe this is just me, I got it's sort of like, I can see that song as something without the lyrics, just the in- instrumental. So it's something that like a young lion might come out to, or sort of like you, you know that sort of thing. It, it really, it seems to really fit in with the t- kind of music that New Japan sort of generally gravitates towards. If that makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, I, I know the current Young Lions theme, uh, Dash, is that that same riff-heavy rock and roll song that now da na 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 na. Stone Cold Crazy is it's a bit more hectic. But I can see what you're going for there, definitely. Yeah, and it's also interesting to see that this is really, at least on our list, the first Brian Danielson theme song that was sort of, I guess you could say contemporary. Not not saying that like something like The Offspring wasn't contemporary, but I guess what I mean more is something that was recent. Like this was during his run in 2003, 2004, and, and this song was from, I believe, 2001. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting to see that this is the, really the first song that he's used that's that was sort of more modern, I guess, and not like from like ten years prior or from the eighties or from the from the nineteen sixties or whatnot. So I guess that aspect was sort of uh, interesting as well, even though even though it was a a Queen cover, I guess. Yeah, the original was from the seventies. Yes, yes, of, even uh, though I guess it's a modern attack. modern take of a of a song from from Queen in the seventies. Um, still, it was, you know, 2001, it's still relatively, it's interesting that it's, you know, again, the first real, guess, modern song or modern take on the song that he's used. Now, Brian also spent some time in pro wrestling Noah, and during his first tour there, he used, of all things, a Papa Roach song. And this is off of their debut album, Infest. It's the big hit, Last Resort. 
Again, a different theme for Japan, and one that doesn't really fit Brian. It gets you pumped up, like a lot of his other songs, but this style of music doesn't really fit him, I don't think. So it, it, it's funny and weird to see him come out to new metal. Uh, and in mid-2000s, Noah, of all places. I mean, this is still the land of Kobashi and Masawa and Akiyama and Tawe. There's such an air of like nobility and grandioseness because all these legends of the 90s are still around with their classic 90s themes. So to have Brian come out to Cut my life into pieces, this is my last resort. <laughs> Suffocation, no breathing, don't give a fuck if I come on bleeding. That's a pretty big schism from that motif. Um, same with, actually the same with Kenta when he would come out to the hip-hop songs. Right. So yeah, another theme here that was likely given to Brian by the promotion, but even if he did pick it, it doesn't really fit him. It's, it's an odd choice. Yeah, yeah. It, it, now, this is a, a song that obviously I was very familiar, I was very familiar with, or I, I recognized immediately when I saw it on our list. Um, and I actually, I actually do think that it's, it's a song that can work for a wrestler, but not... Brian Danielson and not in this setting. It sort of invokes images of a wrestler that's more, I used to say, more high impact per se. So more maybe like a, a high flyer or maybe a, like a hardcore wrestler or something like that. But not not personally like Brian Danielson and certainly not in a place like Pro Wrestling Noah in Japan. Maybe for some American independent promotion, sure, but not not for not for. Uh, promotion a major promotion in japan all right section three is called the actual final countdown because these are the final themes that brian used in ring of honor before he went to wwe in 2009 the first one he only used on a few episodes of roh on hgnet off of the album let likes be cured by likes this is the band fucked up with their song generation يا خيمتي نار البعد والله ما تكوينا حملناه من جد الولد فلسطيننا جينا جايين والعز ولد يا قدسنا جينا حنا الشعب المبين جايينك يا فلسطين
the song begins with uh, one of the more auspicious intros that we've had so far with you can say that. <laughs> what is supposedly a Palestinian nationalism song. Bit of an odd choice for a Brian Danielson theme, uh, to say the least there, Sean. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know that. That that's very that's very interesting. Yes, um, um, Arabic it, chanting. Uh, yeah, yeah, I I was listening to it for the first time. I I couldn't understand what what the whole first part of the song was all about. And I, I I assumed that when he used the song on HCNet, they probably cut that part out and just used the actual central part of the song. Same. But no, it was, it was really odd choice. It was just like, and, then, and now that you said it was like a what, Pakistani Palestinian nat- nationalism Palestinian nationalist song. song. Yeah, yeah. It just seems like an odd fit. Now, I, I could see it working if, again, if it was just an instrumental without any of the lyrics or the the strange chanting. <laughs> um, but I, I suppose that this is probably just something they were using initially until they could figure out an actual song that they could like really use for, for Danielson. Yeah, I imagine that they cut out the intro and just started with the actual rock section for the TV, yeah, uh, oh the yeah. TV show. Because <laughs> it might make sense for Muhammad Hassan, perhaps, but not for Brian. <laughs> now, uh, as far as the song proper goes, it, it's quite basic in terms yeah. of the structure. Just your typical hardcore punk rock song with the intense, heavy, guitar-focused sound. Very simple lyrics, too. Uh, just nine words over and over again. Generation, holding my breath, no hesitation, freedom, or death. And that's perfect for an indie wrestling environment. I don't know how conducive it is for Brian, though. A a bit too rowdy for him, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, um, honestly, I think any song that would come after the final countdown probably would have felt wrong, because the song was, at that point, so ingrained in the fabric of the company and Brian's career as well. I mean, the, the song was such a, a massive part of him that no song in ROH could have lived up to the hype. Even when he had been in WWE for years, I remember like seeing comments on YouTube where people would say, oh, imagine if Brian came out to the final countdown at WrestleMania. Wouldn't that be so cool? And I think because that connection ran so deep for so long that no song could have compared to The Final Countdown. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. It's now time for the last Brian Danielson theme from ROH. This is by a guy named Kenny Pickett, which if you're familiar with Chikara, you might know his name because he was their music director for a few years. This song is called The Ultimate Countdown.
So here's the knockoff. Uh, it was bound to happen at some point. The original that everybody loves is so popular, but we can't use it anymore. So here's this song that sort of sounds like it. So if you could just please love this one too, please, please. Um, unfortunately, you know, while there are plenty of knockoff themes that I enjoy, a knockoff is still a knockoff. And this, I don't think, could ever fill the Final Countdown-shaped hole in ROH fans' hearts. Now, to be fair to Kenny Pickett, he does his best here to replicate the tone of the original. The synth melody, the epic guitars, the driving rhythm. I'm not going to cuss him out and say, oh, you're a terrible person for making this terrible song. The song is fine for what it is and what it's supposed to be. But again, it's not the final countdown. And no matter how many 80s sounding synths you put in it, it'll never be the final countdown. And that, I think, is the eternal struggle of the knockoff theme. It can be a great song, but to some, it will never be the same as the original. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's just sort of the price that has to be paid sometimes when a promotion like Ring of Honor starts, starts to get bigger. You know, once they got to, onto TV, they couldn't... The, the, the option to use any song that you could possibly want to use for your interest theme, it, 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 you, can't, you can't do it. So, while, well, you know, I'm sure that... The, the final countdown, obviously, is that is his theme. That's the song that he's most associated with. But obviously, as sort of you alluded to in that um, article you read about the... Um, trying to figure out, Ring of Honor trying to figure out the situation with the final countdown. Um, you know, rights fees and all that sort of thing are in copyright. It's That's just something that, like, a small company like Ring of Honor isn't, like, capable of overcoming. So, while, while it, it sucks that he had that he had to use a knockoff theme for a period of time, it, unfortunately, as, as much as we hate to say it, it, it was the, the best thing they could really do given the situation um now i i mean i personally i don't mind the song that much but again it it, it doesn't beat the final countdown when it comes to brian danielson you know right. in, in ring of honor so um sir it served its purpose well but it just it was never going to match the original final countdown yeah going off of something you said there um this theme i, I think it's actually quite symbolic in a way in regards to Ring of Honor and the direction it was going in because it started out as an indie company where they could use pretty much any song they wanted to because they weren't on a big enough radar yet. But then right. as mm -hmm. it got bigger and bigger and bigger and eventually became a TV product, they had to deal with the growing pains that come with it. One of them being music rights and popular music being used as entrance themes was such an integral part of ROH during that golden era of the mid-2000s that when you stop using those songs like Final Countdown and start using license-free songs or maybe indie artists or even an in-house guy like Adam Massacre, it creates this noticeable rift between the old era of ROH, the golden age, and the new era, the TV age. And that's not just true for ROH. The same thing has happened to Progress. Yeah, the same exactly. thing has happened mm -hmm. to Chikara. 
For years, Chikara used mainstream songs as entrance themes. And then when they got really hot in like 2011, 2012, and started doing pay-per-views, they stopped using those big songs and they brought in a guy like Kenny Pickett to do the knockoff version of Angel for BDK or the knockoff version of Blueprint Squared for Eddie Kingston or the knockoff version of Ants Marching for The Colony. So Ultimate Countdown, I think, was a clear sign that ROH was metamorphosing into a larger, more mainstream entity. And I think Brian leaving ROH as well also marked a sea change for them because he had been with ROH for over seven years at that point, since show number one, and now he was leaving. So Ultimate Countdown really signaled the ending of an era for both ROH and for Brian. So the last section of the show is simply called Daniel Bryan because these are the themes that he's had in WWE as Daniel Bryan. The first one he only used for a very, very short time, about a month or so, August to September 2010. This is the duo of Herman Langschwert and Wolfgang Killian, who I believe are scheduled for WXW Tag League in a few months. <laughs> Ba-dum-bum. But uh, anyway, gang, uh, this song is called Rage. about this one uh it's your standard generic hard rock instrumental feels like a placeholder theme it doesn't really distinguish brian in any way doesn't tell you anything about him although in the context of the story it kind of makes sense because brian came back as a surprise at SummerSlam 2010 after he was fired because of the whole you know tide choking incident so him coming back out of the blue meant that they didn't have a theme ready for him. So they just gave him some random generic one. Yeah, um, me, when I first heard this song, it sort of sounded like, uh, if you ever played the more recent WWE video games and you're going to, like, if you make if you made your creative character and you're going to make their entrance and when you're picking out their music, they have, you know, the themes of the other wrestlers and then they have a mix in a mixture of uh, like generic themes that they just throw in there with fancy titles, like you know, there's there's like there's like a gothic one, and then there's like a superhero kind of themed one, but but something like that, something you know, it, it seems like a song that would be just sort of a generic you know rock song that's sort of situated in that sort of selection of themes that you would just like pick for your creative character, and then just you know throw it in there. And it's, it's generic, but it fits, because it's not, you can use it for anything, really. It's not tied to anything, I guess you could say. So, but yeah, yeah, it, it was, it's okay, but it's, again, it's generic, nothing really to add about it. 
After he got rid of Rage, Brian moved on to a very different type of song, one that was originally composed in the 1850s. So eat your heart out, Queen. <laughs> this is Richard Wagner and his infamous piece, Ride of the Valkyries. So we'll talk about uh, the other Valkyries song in a little bit, uh, the one that's a lot more popular, but this one is the original version of the song that Brian used for close to a year, famously used in Apocalypse Now uh, during the village assault scene. And as a wrestling theme, in general, it makes a lot of sense because the song is so intimidating and musically dominating with all the strings and the heavy brass instruments. And the way that the melody sounds kind of like a wave that's building up, you know, and then crashing down on you. Very similar in tone, I feel, to Rinkomp's music, which is also very foreboding and majestic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's sort of interesting that they actually didn't come up with the later version first and that originally they did just go straight for the you know the original composition of the song as it was you know the actual orchestra version of the song um no it was it was really interesting and i'm sure i guess i remember at the time just hearing that theme when he came out it just sounded so so different from everything else you know because everyone usually has some sort of rock song or rap song whereas you know daniel bryan's coming out to this this classical this classical music um, and I was actually just, you know, I've never seen Apocalypse Now, so I, I cannot speak to the actual movie, but just going off of what, I guess, sort of the description it gives in sort of why they were using this song in, I guess, that, in that assault scene that you were talking about, I guess it was, was it sort of used as sort of, um, as sort of like a psychological tool? Again, you've probably seen the movie. I, I've never had. I haven't seen it in a while. Of, but I believe it was used for um, psychological warfare and to intimidate yeah. the enemy during the uh, the military offensive. Yeah, and I, I think that sort of makes sense as far as Brian's theme is concerned. I guess using this as his theme, because in a way, it, it, I guess it could be sort of viewed as that, you know, um, even though he wasn't necessarily the, the main inventor that he would later become at the time that he was using the original version of the song, uh... I guess it could be seen as psychological warfare because, you know, again, like I said, you're used to hearing a certain kind of song and maybe hearing something like so different and being going up against a guy that's so different in Daniel Bryan sort of maybe, I guess, in, in the world of, I guess, kayfabe, if you want to say, it would be sort of uh, maybe psyching your opponent out a little bit, putting him off or whatever. Um, 
Yeah, but no, when I when I saw that that was that's what that song was used for in that movie, it, it made it made a lot of sense to me at least. Yeah, yeah. Brian isn't the biggest or the strongest guy in the world, but domination doesn't always have to mean physical strength and size. It can also mean, uh, you know, technical domination as well. You know, outsmarting your opponent. Uh, to that, I actually remember heel Michael Cole frequently calling Brian a nerd. You know, he, he's a nerd. This is nerd oh, yeah. music. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's face it, classical music does carry an air of superiority around it. So even though Brian is a babyface at the time, his theme does convey the notion that he is a better wrestler than you, and he mm-hmm. will outclass you in the ring. Plus, like you said, Sean, it, it does help establish Brian as being unique, because he doesn't come out to generic metal dude bro music or hip-hop or what have you. He also doesn't look or wrestle like a lot of the other guys on the roster. You know, he's special. So him having this song really helps further accentuate that. Yeah, no, I also, I could be wrong, but I, I could have swore at the time, or at least reading up on it later, uh, that part of the reason why, now, I don't know if he had any, uh, you know, say in picking the song per se, but I do remember I do remember hearing something that Sarah Del Rey used this theme on the independent scene, and that sort of, perhaps the reason why Brian used this theme as was sort of a, I say tribute to her because she was one of his students, right? Um, back in the day, so again, I don't know if that is actually a reason why, or if he actually had any say in picking the song when he was in WWE. But I do think that was interesting that Sarah Del Rey used this song on the indie scene right around the same time that Brian was on the indie scene as well, and then later mm-hmm. in WWE, Brian uses it. So again, there there may be no connection, but I I, I feel like there might be. But maybe that's just me connecting the dots. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. I, I had not thought of that, actually. That's a, that's a really good point. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I suppose you could also look at it as another example of Brian's unique way of thinking about theme songs. Uh, like with, you know, Final Countdown or Turn, Turn, Turn. Maybe. So in August 2011, Brian got another new theme. One that he only had for a few months until November. This is a Jim Johnston song called Big Epic Thing. Another really generic theme here, uh, some super serious fighter music, mm-hmm. no nonsense. And Brian at the time had won Money in the Bank, but he wasn't really doing anything 
character-wise. Right. He was just wrestling matches. And I think the name, even, Big Epic Thing, sums that all up. This lack of character and specificity, Sean. Right, yeah. And I guess the only part, really, of the song that I think is kind of cool is the fact that we're uh, right at the beginning. You hear, sort of hear that that ching sound right at the beginning that I guess sort of connects back to you know the fact that he won the money in the bank ladder match um, yep. but yeah and I guess in that aspect I do like the fact that they sort of used that they made a theme song that sort of connected to a, a moment in a career like winning money in the bank but other than that really there's not much to this song and honestly out of out of all the themes probably it's probably my least favorite, I would say. It's just not that... It just doesn't really... It doesn't really fit him that much. See, to me, the most interesting thing about this song is that back in 2010, for the Night of Champions pay-per-view, the theme of that show was a song called Free Fall by this production company called Two Steps From Hell. And they do songs for movies and trailers. And this song, Big Epic Thing is pretty much a straight ripoff of that song, Freefall. And funny enough, Big Epic Thing would later go on to be the theme for Night of Champions 2012. So there are a few connections here, Sean, which really is about the only exciting thing about this song for me. Yeah, that's nothing much else to say about this one, honestly. Also, I noticed that it sounds very similar in style to Caval's theme, Exploding Helmets, which was just on episode 29, the low-key episode. Uh, that, That same no-nonsense fighter music. Uh, So a a quick plug for that episode there. (laughs) So it is now time for the final song on the list, the main event, the song that Brian has been using for over six years now. Uh, Again, this is Jim Johnston giving his own spin on Richard Wagner and using a different trademarkable name. This is Flight of the Valkyries. utterly amazing what you can do when you add some guitars and a drum track to a song. Because this song goes from being this majestic classic orchestral song to uh, a rock anthem. Because the original version has a lot of technique to it, but it doesn't have that real punch to it. This one, when the guitars and the drums kick in, it feels so energetic and lively and gets you so pumped up. And really, Sean, we've come full circle here, because 
The Final Countdown was a song that seemed like an odd choice for an entrance theme, but eventually Brian helped turn it into this beloved, accepted theme that was a really big facet of his career. And now here we are, years later, with Flight of the Valkyries, a song that seemed like an odd choice for an entrance theme at first, but you know, by golly, Brian turned it into this beloved and accepted theme that's been a really big facet of his career. And even further connecting it to Final Countdown, I think if Brian had used this song in Ring of Honor, because this song has the perfect tempo for people to stop the barricades, you know, so there's a real neat connection here between these two sides of Brian's career. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, the, the song is just so energetic and it, it so gets you pumped up and ready to see Daniel Bryan. And I guess in a way, too, it sort of fits with that uh, because it's gotten so popular as, as Brian has gotten so popular. It's sort of now become one of those songs that you've mentioned many times in the past on previous episodes of Music of the Mat, where especially for uh, WWE themes, where it's always like that first like real the first like note or whatever of the song that first like couple seconds that like sort of identifies the song immediately as like this is so and so's theme song, whereas like that mm-hmm. first part of the song that's uh, the the orchestra playing the original bit right at the very beginning, like as soon as that part plays in any arena, like that immediately starts the S chance, like it's the immediate thing like oh yep this is Daniel Bryan's time this is his theme this is he's coming out now, um, and I guess I've always really enjoyed also seeing sort of classical themes get remixed into well like it's not remixed per se but was sort of redone as sort of like rock versions uh, like one of my favorite wrestling themes uh is the one that timothy thatcher uses in evolve he uses that's the uh dvorak symphony symphony number no. nine i think it's called mm-hmm. um and it's and while he and i guess walter use the more a more traditional version when they're teaming or when they're in wxw when thatcher's in evolve he used that um uses the, the the rock version of it which is is really cool and just in general i think when you take sort of a classical song like that and give it like that that rock sort of redux i guess you could say it really adds new life to it and i think this this version of the song that jim johnston made for daniel bryan really really gave it a ton of life and a ton of energy and you can see it you know whenever every time brian comes out you know it the crowd just is like electrified almost immediately and it's just yes 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 all throughout the building and with the yes chance you need a song like this to make those work with the entrance you need a big to-do song with the guitars and the operatic structure and the hoopla to go along with it you you can't have the yes chance with big epic thing or rage no, or no, even no. ride of the valkyries there have to be those pounding drums and those guitars Otherwise, it would just sound weird, I think. Uh, So yeah, this is just one of those themes that, from the opening note, everyone is on their feet and excited for Brian to come out. And again, that speaks to Brian's ability to be so beloved and to retain 
that same level of fan devotion after so many years. Because there are guys who their music hits and they get a nice pop, but it's not what it used to be. With Brian, that intense love has never gone away. It was there before he retired. It's still here now that he's come back. Maybe even more so, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Uh, anything else about Flight of the Valkyries, Sean? Oh, not 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 really. Um, I guess my only the only thing I want to say, or I guess the only other thing I can add is I really hope I get to if I get the chance to see Daniel Bryan live at WWE again. I hope I get the chance to go because you know hearing that song again would be just awesome live same same yeah all right that was our look at the theme history of daniel bryan uh he's a man with quite an eclectic list of themes for sure but hey that's what makes brian so interesting you know it's that versatility and variety and that personality to him as well because only a man of such fascinating personality would come out to papa roach in noah (laughs) But Brian, you know, he is certainly one of our favorites. And again, Sean and I were so happy that Brian is back in the ring doing what he loves and what he does best. And Lord willing and the creek don't rise, we have many, many more years of Daniel Bryan in the ring to come. Sean, uh, any final thoughts on Daniel Bryan? No, not really. Um, Again, it's just great to see him back. Um... And obviously, we all hope that he that he's he's healthy, and I think again, as I mentioned, towards the top of the show, he's a guy who I feel like is sort of smart enough and knows what he needs to do to stay healthy. Like he's not a guy that'll go out there and just be reckless with his body. You know, he 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 knows his limitations now, especially with I guess whatever injuries he's had over the years. And as long as he's willing to adapt, yeah, or I guess he seems like a person who's willing to adapt how he can as so that he could still do what he loves to do. Um, and I think all of us hope myself included, and I'm sure you as well, that he just has a, a long rest of his career and that he gets to more importantly, whenever he eventually does actually retire for good, that he gets to end it on his terms and that not, mm-hmm. it's not somebody else telling him you can't wrestle anymore. Cause I'm sure, you know, he'll know when the, when the time is then for him to retire, then he will do it himself. And cause it just seems like, you know, sort of going out on on your terms is so much more satisfying than someone telling you that you have to stop what you're doing, that you can't do what you love anymore. I agree 100%, sir. 100%. So we love you, Brian. And whatever you do in life, you know, just stay away from the bears. <laughs> We know you want to wrestle them, but you've already retired once, okay? So just for our sake, for your sake too, please stay away from the Bears, all right? (laughs) And yeah, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Mat. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again, Sean, for coming on the show. Anything you want to plug, just go right ahead. Sure, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at... uh... S-A-C-D-O-R-2994. Um, you can see most of my uh, wrestling thoughts there, as well as on busy weekends, like the one that's coming up as we're recording this. Uh, I'll be tweeting a lot about racing, sort of like NASCAR, IndyCar, Formula One, if you're into that sort of thing. But if not, that's totally fine. You can just follow me for the wrestling stuff. Um, 
you could check out all of my reviews at voicesofwrestling.com. Again, I mainly do uh, Ring of Honor, mainly the pay-per-view reviews, uh, but I also jump in for New Japan, uh, for all sorts of different shows. Uh, I'm also known as the guy who is one of the only people on the staff that's willing to review the World Tag League. Uh, so that's always fun every year. <laughs> I did um, some too. Though, I did some too. Yes, to be you fair. did. You did. But who knows? The tag division looks exciting this year. So maybe the World Tag League coming up will actually be better than it has been. <laughs> um, but again, Ring of Honor, New Japan, the occasional WWE review, depending on uh, depending on the show, if there's anything interesting, or at least it's interesting to me. Um, and then Evolve, um, such as, you know, as of this recording, I did the reviews for Evolve 102 and 103, which took place over WrestleMania weekend, so you can go check those out. Um, and then I also do some stuff for Fighting Spirit Magazine. I've actually been doing that for, gosh, well, uh, I think the end of 2016, right when the Flow Slam era started for Evolve is when I started uh, writing for S- FSM. Um, I do the recaps for mainly just the Ring of Honor pay-per-views and then whatever goes on, on during the uh, Evolve weekends. Um, so you can check me out there. And then uh, that's uh, that's pretty much it. And Music of the Mat is part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network, home to so many great podcasts like the VOW Flagship, Burning Spirits, Open the Voice Gate, Sarah and Sarah, Russellnomics, and plenty more. Check them all out at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Mat. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. Go to the VOW forums to find the YouTube playlist for this episode and all past episodes. That's VoicesOfWrestling.com slash forum. And of course, if you have not done so already, rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, and now Spotify. That's right, the show is now on Spotify. Just search for the show on there. Hit the follow button and you'll be good to go. Sean, this was an absolute pleasure having you on again. And I very much look forward to you coming on the show once more in the future. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, for Sean Cedor, I'm Andrew Rich. And I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. Music of the Mad is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.